Hi, and welcome to episode 150 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, coming to you from Wajagnunga land in Western Australia, where I've been spending a bit of time in the last couple of months, and I'm absolutely loving it. As you might know, I'm taking a break from in-depth interviews to catch up on some YouTube video editing, and I'm very excited about my most recent video, which I uploaded a couple of days ago. It's from my interview with Idris Murphy last year, and at 35 minutes, it's one of my longest videos to date, and it includes footage from Idris's studio and from the magnificent survey show of his work, Backblocks, which was curated by Terence Maloon and started started off at the Drill Hall Gallery in Canberra, came to Sydney to the SH Irvine and ended up at Orange Regional Gallery earlier this year. My podcast interview with Idris in his studio, episode 131, is one of the most popular on the podcast. And the video is basically the highlights from that episode. So there's a link in the show notes to that video if you'd like to have a look. If you like it, and if you haven't already, why not subscribe to the YouTube channel? It's free, and there are now 193 videos on there. There's been over one and a half million views, and you'll be joining 11,000 other subscribers. But today, I'm continuing my search for inspirational content from the archives, and I thought I'd bring you clips on a topic which I've always been interested in, the idea of risk-taking in painting. Some of us are more comfortable with it than others. It might be painting out sections which look fabulous on their own but don't work with the rest of the work, using a material you've never used before, applying the paint in a different way than you're used to, presenting a new body of work which is completely different to the previous work which might have been commercially successful, or it might even be making an unpopular or inflammatory political statement, which could mean your work is banned from viewing. When you're taking those risks, you're opening yourself up to the possibility of failure, disappointment, and probably the worst one of all, ridicule. And the less control you have, the scarier it is. And the closer you get to the point you think the work is finished, the higher the stakes. But nearly every painter will tell you that you need it in order to move forward in your practice. So whether we call it risk, chance, letting go of control, or just leaving yourself open to mistakes, it all amounts to a greater openness to creativity, taking the leap and seeing what happens. I've listed every artist in the show notes with links to their podcast episode and YouTube video. So if you want to find out anything more about any of these artists, you can go there. The first clip I'm bringing you is from my conversation with Vanessa Stockard in 2017. She was a finalist that year in the Archibald Prize with a painting titled Self-Portrait as New Mum, an intimate, enigmatic acrylic work on wood panel 50 centimetres square. At the time, Vanessa was painting many self-portraits, and if you watch the YouTube video, you can see her showing me some of them in her studio. Another thing I wanted to raise with you about your technique is that something that you mentioned in relation to the Archibald painting, and mm-hmm. you said in relation to that that um, you use a combination of maintaining control and letting go when you're yep. painting, when you were painting that portrait. What do you, what do you mean by that? I think I do that a lot in in every work actually so I like having different different methods of making marks 
And I also like the feeling that things were almost accidentally put there. So there's no control over that. Yet, right next to it, that's a very deliberate line. So I really like the combination and the contrast. Aesthetically. Can you think in, the, in that painting, I don't know if you can visualise it in your yeah. mind, a part of that painting that you might have done that with? Sure, it would be, say, um, the cheek as opposed to the eye. Right. You know, like the, how, how you can delineate facial, you know, say cheekbones and just use a pool of colour and... Um, how would that be less... How would you have less control over that? Is it because it's more watery? Yeah, or? and it dries and you don't know what colour it's going to turn. So it's so watery, you come back, um, say, it might take a couple of hours to dry because it's so... Yeah, it's so wet. Yeah. So you don't know what that's going to look like. Oh. So you may have had all this control over everything else. You've tried really hard to do that and you're like, ah, oh, okay, I'm going to do that and see so how it turns huge, out. It's a huge risk. It's a risk, yeah. But, but all the beautiful things come out of risks, I find. Yeah. Yeah. So would it often, so would you have times where you've risked and it didn't work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's usually when you, you feel unsure and you go, oh, and you make yourself make that risk and it, you just know that you probably shouldn't have done it and, it, and then you try and fix it and it's no good. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be one go. One go, you get one shot, bang, oh, it works. Right, right. Oh, it doesn't. You get yeah. one shot. If you've ever seen a painting by Paul Ryan, what you probably would have noticed is his use of thick impasto paint on areas of the canvas in a way that you could almost imagine him placing it on the surface. There's something about the lack of interference with the paint once it's there which makes the work come alive. Here he talks with me about his approach. And, uh, and, it, and like all my paintings, there's, there's a sense of structure there, but there's so much opportunity for happy accident. And it's all about, I kind of, it's kind of like corralling happy accidents the way I paint. I've learned all these different techniques over the years by, you know, painting so many hundreds or how many thousands of paintings. Once I've got the structure drawn onto the canvas, that's kind of the, the superstructure of the painting. Yeah. But once that's on, anything can happen with the way the paint actually goes on. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very open to letting the paint do a bit of the talking and telling me where the painting's going. And in the end, that's what happens is you start painting and then the painting tells you where it needs to go next. And do you scrape off at all if you make a mistake, do you find? Or do you try have to get to. it right the first I try, time? I love to get it right first time. And yeah, so it's this, it's this bizarre combination between knowing exactly what shape and colour that needs to be, but at the same time being confident enough to let the paint land in its own way um, so that it's not perfectly shaped or formed. Um, it, it, it's an instinctual thing, I think, with colour and shape and tone. And you have an instinct, as you're mixing it on the palette, you go, oh, that's it right there now. As you're mixing back and forth and different colours are coming in, you sort of instinctually know that's what I want. And you go and pick it up, put it down, splat, stand back, look at it, go, yes, happy with that, then go and do the next bit. 
When I interviewed Guy Warren in 2021, it was in his 100th year and it was a fascinating conversation which spanned from his youth right up to the exhibitions which were coming up after our conversation and there were five of them. Here he talks about his views on youth and risk. So after the war, uh, on the day of discharge, I remembered very clearly two other guys and I went into town, had a beer at one of the pubs in town probably several beers, and then I walked up the hill to the National Art School and enrolled. Uh, so the day I left the army, I enrolled at the National Art School. And that was one of the, again, one of the great lucky experiences of my life. It was full of ex-service men and women, uh, and some of them, well, all of them had probably wasted five years of their young lives. And let's be honest about this, sometimes the most important years of your life are when you're in your 20s. You're more, you're braver, you do ra irrational things, uh, and that sometimes, of course, means you produce your better work. Mm. Um, the most exciting works are frequently done in your young 20s, I think. Anyway, um, that's a theory on my part. Mm. Um, mm. What, because it's, you're not overthinking it? Yeah, I think you're braver as a young man, which is why you go to war instead of doing other things. Um, yeah, I think you're braver. Take risks. I had a fabulous conversation with Julian Maher in his Sydney studio with stunning large landscape and abstract works in progress on the walls, which again can be seen on the YouTube channel. Julian is also a portraitist and his skilled use of oil paint can sometimes initially be mistaken for watercolour. Here's part of our conversation from 2021. And in fact, in fact I think I was talking to Bill James, a mate of mine, years ago. And I was saying it's actually really good having um, kids. One of the best things about having kids is it forces us to walk away from the, from the canvas because daycare, I can't leave my kids in daycare all night long. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? And then so there's, a, it's so good if, to be able to go, all right, let's do this. And then you just have to walk away. Mm. And sometimes I'd come back and go, oh, I'm going to leave that. That's actually really good. And you start doing things that you think you're going to paint over the next day that you don't. And so there's, like everything, it's all restrictions are sometimes um, the biggest gifts in terms of something more creative. Definitely. So I don't, I, don't, I don't get angry the fact that I've got less hours in here. In some ways it's better because I'm, uh, I'm more effective while I'm in here and I, and I paint and take a risk and just walk away and see how it is. And I don't have time to go spend all night long correcting and killing it. Overworking it, Overwork yeah. Overworking is, is a really, it's your enemy. It was a pleasure to interview Ken Doan in 2017 in his studio in Sydney with the most incredible view of Sydney Harbour. And I could see where he gets his inspiration from. But in this clip, we talk about his underwater paintings and in particular, how risk plays a part in paintings he created from his memories of night diving. You've also done a lot of black, black predominantly black paintings, yeah, yeah. which like yeah. night dive night paintings. Dive, night dive, and lovely they picture. Are beautiful because those colours that are in there just glow out of them. I love the night dive series. I have done a few of them. And obviously you don't 
not you don't make it while you're under the water because it's night. You don't even do a drawing. You have to do it maybe the next day or maybe the next week or maybe the next month or maybe the next year. But it's the memory of the night dive that when you go down, you can see little iridescent pieces of colour, little luminous pieces of colour, strange shapes, little bit scary in some areas. Mm. And you have to paint all of that and then you have to do the black. The night dive pictures are all the, are about risk. You have to risk destroying everything because when you finish the painting, or let's say you've covered the whole canvas, then you pick up, or I pick up, black enamel, sometimes soft with extra terps, so it's not very strong, mm. sometimes uh, full strength. And you have to very quickly, very quickly eliminate a lot of things. So the risk is you'll eliminate too much or you won't get it right. So you cannot seriously think, oh, I'll make that shape there because you you have to work at white hot speed. Be, be, Why do you have to do it quickly? Well, because otherwise the enamel will make an... It'll look too worked and the enamel will get thick and globby in some areas. And some of the best ones of the night dive pictures, I think, are where the enamel paint was quite thin because you picked up quite a bit of terps and you can see uh, the shapes that were underneath that makes you feel like when you are doing the night dive, obviously it's what you see in front of you and out of the corner of your eyes close up, but there are these shapes and things moving slightly in the distance. Are they frightening things or are they just fish slightly out of view? So, yeah, I like doing those night dive pictures. Juliet Holmes at Court is one of the most creative people I have ever met. And you only have to go to my YouTube video to see what I mean. I visited Juliet at her home on Scotland Island in northern Sydney a few years ago, where we recorded the podcast conversation. But after that, she took me around her house and studio, and her creative skills were definitely not limited to painting. A lot of the furniture and furnishings she had made herself all the way down to door handles made from Osso Buco bones. Anyway, she's also an extraordinary painter, and I just loved what she said in our conversation about risk. Lloyd Rees said he only knows that a painting has any chance of being good is when he's prepared to ruin it. It's at that moment that you are risking ruining it that it might just turn out to be... What do you mean by that? What do you mean risking ruining it? Well, he would throw... He would throw... Um, paint at it. He'd dip his brush into the turps and go flick. Yeah. And it'd just go dribble, dribble, dribble down. You look at his work, people think dribbles are uh, contemporary. No, the dragging the layers of paint down. Yeah. And um, when I read he was doing that, I thought, oh, gee, if that's good enough for Lloyd, that's good enough for me. So this painting I'd been working on in layers of oil paint for a couple of weeks, I thought, that's what it needs, the turps. So I 
got the turps and are flinging the turps. Oh, that looks better, flinging the turps. That, oh, that looks great, more turps, flinging the turps. And then the phone rang. And I went and answered the phone. I came back and all the painting had gone from the painting onto the floor. <laughs> so, so. So is that what you mean by risk? It's the risk. You risk to ruin it. Yes. And so, and so yeah. by the risk, it's like you have a knock at the door. Well, rather than looking through the little hole to see who's there, you open the door and you risk the surprise of a welcome guest or an unwelcome guest. And... And if you've always got control of whether you open that door or not, mm. or not, you don't allow creativity to come in. And so Turner with his dirty hands and fingernail, he'd drag through the paint. Reese said he used to paint with the heel of his thumb. He would drag his hand through it. And so that it's, that is, is a rather blunt tool, mm, isn't it? Mm. And so what you've it's got doing, you've got less control. And sometimes mm. you can force... Sometimes you have to force it by those risks mm. because you might be sitting peacefully reading a book, knock your tea over, and suddenly you're moving, you're grabbing this, you're doing that. Your whole dynamic shifts. Same within a painting. You suddenly put a colour on that surprises you, knocks mm. that blandness of good taste and control on its, on its nose. Then you react. Yep. And that reaction might be the very essence of what takes that painting from a good, solid, considered work to something with a, a degree of magic that's palpable mm. to the eye. Tim McGuire is well known for his large-scale paintings of flowers using many layers of transparent paint. In some of those works, he would use only three colours in three separate layers, yellow, magenta and cyan, splashing solvent onto each layer just before it dried. His initial approach was to make sure each layer was finished within the one day so that the solvent could be applied to the whole canvas. But as he worked on larger and larger works, he realised he could achieve the same effect by doing sections at a time. So it got to the point where I was painting, painting some enormous paintings, which were sort of two metres by five metres and literally doing the colour layer each day. In, oh, my God. And then I ended up, you know, under the physiotherapist for quite some, <laughs> quite some months, basically. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's a very physical type of yeah, work that you do. Was, well, that was insane. That was, that was madness. But I'm not quite so mad as that. I now, I'll, I'll now allow myself the luxury of doing a colour layer over a couple of days. Oh, will you? Yeah, yeah. Because actually <laughs> I realised, no, you can't see it and yeah. no, one, I'm the only person that cares and, uh, yeah. and uh, even I can't necessarily see what's going on in the yellow layer. Well, it's interesting because this ties up with the idea of risk as well, you know, taking risk, losing control, which a lot of artists talk about. Um, do you deliberately put things up for yourself so that you have got a loss of control in a way? Um, not, yes, I suppose not that, not that I'm seeking a loss of control, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely trying to make it harder to regain control, put it that way. Because maybe the maybe the excitement is in this sort of the, you know, the the plan is is in a spin, but you're trying to get that, <laughs> you're, try, you're wrestling with the controls and you're trying to sort of straighten it out before you hit the ground. And um, uh, I'm not really interested in crashing. So yeah, yeah, right. uh, I mean, no one is, of course. But but um, I'm I don't I I don't want to just to be I, I was I never felt 
comfortable with sort of pure subject subjectivity and chance. Um, I've always wanted to have um, a play between between the random and the and the manageable. So um, uh, and then when and and often you know having formulated something which is going to make it difficult for me then I spent a lot of time and energy trying to sort of master the difficulty mm. and once and that can take some time that can take months or years and then once one has done that and then one starts to feel unsatisfied because it's actually too it's all too kind of within my grasp and too kind of conscious and the results are too predictable mm. so I have to find another way of of um upending everything and making it hard again. Joe Furlonger is probably best known for a particular kind of landscape which he returns to time and time again. He paints those flat areas of the Australian farmlands and bush, the places where at first glance there doesn't seem to be much going on, where the horizon seems to stretch out forever. I caught up with him in 2018. In previous times... I'd, uh, I'd have, you know, a big canvas up or one or two big, really big paintings up. But and then I, I'd, I'd done things where I'd sit down and um, uh, do drawings of the format for the painting, almost like imaginary formats for these paintings. And I might be working in pen and watercolour and ink. And I... <laughs> I'd sit there, you know, I'd go three and a half days, just just solid, you know, don't look up from the drawings. And I'd, they'd be, they'd be sort of flying, you know, they'd be going, you know, really flying and making sort of what I thought would be new innovations with um, watercolour on very cheap sort of drawing paper. So, you know, you know, it's just got to get this, you just got to get put one fresh technique, one thing down, and then it won't take anymore. That that's it, so to speak. And uh, what, what do you mean? Oh, I mean that that I'd be painting. On, I'd be putting watercolor on the wrong sort of paper. Oh, I and, see. And, and you couldn't fiddle with it. You just had to bang. That's it. You'd flood flood all these colors in, and something had happened. And uh, yeah. Uh, and I'd well, be muck- good things, you mean? I presume. Good things, yeah, good things. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And going, oh wow, look at that. So that's when the paint sort of takes over and does its, does its, does its own. You know, you know, you just shepherd it around. <laughs> so yeah, right. Not, not sort of control the hell out of it, sort of thing. And um, that's why I like those watery mediums. I did a whole lot of work with watercolor. You can't control it. Mm. It's great. Mm. You know that something something happens on its own accord. And I suppose I'm you know, looking for that. But yeah, I'd do all these drawings, then get up and start on the painting. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to my guests for their insightful observations on the creative process, and I hope it provided you with some inspiration. Before I go, I also wanted to remind you of an upcoming live conversation I'll be having with the wonderful Steve Lopez, who has been on the podcast twice. We're going to be chatting at the Art Gallery of New South Wales at 6pm on Wednesday, the 25th of October. Uh, The ticket also includes a drink in the members lounge afterwards. I absolutely love these talks. They're informal and in a very cosy, intimate auditorium. So if you'd like to come along, I'd love to see you there. It's $10 
$15 for members, $15 for non-members, and there's a link in the show notes that will take you directly to the booking page. Also, a shout out to everyone who has rated and reviewed on Apple Podcasts. It is so heartening to see your comments and it also gets the show out to more people. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.